your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to a Friday of Lacrosse Talk PM, 608-785-7914. The most people I've ever had in my show at one time was the Elvis Explosion people, because I think I had three Elvis uh, guys in here, Elvis Explosion, but now I have, and then me, so that was four, so this might be tied. I got Brad Williams in studio, I got UW Lacrosse political science professor Dr. Anthony Tregowski in studio, and most importantly at this point, I have Ian Turner, the Lacrosse Regional Airport Director in studio. We have to get to the bottom of this. Ian, how are you? I'm doing very well. Very important story that we talked about last week, Ian, in terms of uh, just news that was going through. And then you, you sometimes you're listening to the show, and I think you texted one time when we were talking about... Do you remember what we were talking about? I do, Rick. So there was an unruly passenger, and they were... Restrained with duct tape while they were in the air. I mean, you have a roll of duct tape, you have someone who's misbehaving, and so, well, put the roll of duct tape to use. And we were wondering, can you bring duct tape on an airplane? And I think you texted in, Ian, that it is okay to bring duct tape, right? Something like that? It is okay to take duct tape on an airplane, and I I would throw that in the classification of uh, MacGyvering it. Does TSA think anything's fishy if I have, like, a roll of duct tape in my winter coat pocket as I'm walking through, you know, going through the checkpoint? Well, as long as there's not a, you know, hand grenade stuffed in the middle of that roll of duct tape, you should be good. And that brings up the the next question. This is what we were talking about last week. Uh, Not a hand grenade, but a gun. Going through to TSA, the gun was stuffed inside a raw chicken. And... We weren't Chagaski, We weren't so we weren't so curious about you know we we kind of know you can't bring a gun through to TSA. Sure. But, but if you went through TSA with just a raw chicken, Ian Turner, regional airport director, would would we get stopped? What would happen if I if I if I put like a raw chicken on the conveyor? Uh, well, you'll probably get a couple strange looks, but yeah, it'll 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 be allowed through in in most circumstances. Are you a little nervous about me bringing this up because there might be a flood of raw meats going through TSA this upcoming week, you know, with Thanksgiving? People are trying to find the best deals on turkey with inflation costs going. And when they're flying home, they'll be like, you know, the turkey is 13 cents a pound cheaper over here. Maybe I'll just bring one home. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, I, I'm i not the one that's nervous because I won't be the one doing the screening, but I, I've got some people here that work in the terminal that might be uh, asking me some questions next week on wh- what the heck am I doing making them uh, screen a bunch of uh, strange things. But, you know, the, the, the traveling with meat thing is, I think, um, while it's allowed, I don't know if it's the greatest idea. I'd hate to be the guy sitting in the row of seats and then have some uh, raw meat dripping on me out of the overhead bin. And it's pretty easy for TSA to find a gun stuffed inside maybe your 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 chicken or your turkey because it's got to go through that little x-ray machine, right? 
Uh, yes, absolutely. That That is probably not the smartest thing to do is try to hide something like that intentional in in, a, in an x-ray machine or something that's going to go through an x-ray machine. In your time at the airport, now I know you're not work, you're not working directly in that area, but is there, do you have like a, the, this is the weirdest thing I've experienced that's gone through Checkpoint? Uh, you know, I don't, I've not personally experienced too many strange things uh, going going through the checkpoint. But you're right, that's not uh, something that ends up in, in my scope of work on a regular basis. But I know many checkpoints around the country will have a nice display of the strange things that they've confiscated from, from travelers uh, sitting out in front. So uh, that's always something interesting to go peruse while you're waiting in line uh, to go through security. And I think last thing before I let you go, the weirdest thing that I don't know if it was the weirdest, but you were working in Colorado when like a drug lord went through the airport, right? Like he was in custody, something like that, right? Uh, yes, that, that that's that is true. <laughs> I wasn't expecting you to to bring that one up. Uh, yeah, I was uh, uh, worked with the, the Department of Justice, uh, and our staff did to, to bring El Chapo to the supermax in Florence, Colorado. Okay, no big deal there. I mean, sorry yeah, if I brought uh, that up. I thought we talked about that once before, but maybe that was off the air. <laughs> uh, I think it was. I think it was off the air. That that there's a longer story there, but it, it was it was pretty funny to uh, watch all of the media sorts, you know, wondering when El Chapo was going to get moved and all that stuff, and sitting in my office in Pueblo, Colorado, chuckling, knowing that he was already uh, safe and sound uh, underground uh, in in Colorado there. All right, so maybe we'll just have to have you on to literally talk about this story. We have more time because I know you punch out at five and you stuck around to sure. talk to us. I really appreciate it, Ian. Thanks. Yeah, if, if I can have just uh, you know thirty seconds yeah. to, to share with your listeners that you know on, on the on a more serious side to all of this is that the TSA last year found almost six thousand firearms in carry on luggage, and eighty six percent of those were were loaded, and that's according to a, a press release the TSA just released today. So if People are going to visit grandma and checking luggage. They really ought to just take two seconds, check that bag that they just went hunting with, make sure they don't have, haven't left anything that's dangerous behind. Because that's a, that's to me a much more of a big safety issue than it is, you know, people traveling with ill intent. Uh, and we want everybody to get where they're going visit their loved ones, have a good time on the holidays. Yeah, definitely. Uh, first thing, um, I'm always packing when I go visit grandma. And secondly, and I understand it's deer hunting season. Secondly, uh, when you say 6,000, you mean across the nation, not in lacrosse, right? <laughs> uh, n- no, no, that is that is nationwide. Yeah, because I think I, I only remember like on a, one, one on gun an going. Basis. Yeah, I only remember like one gun going through uh, TSA that we got a report on anyway over the past year for you guys. Uh, that, that sounds pretty accurate. Sure. All right, Ian Turner, thanks a lot. All right, have a great day. Happy Thanksgiving. All right, Brad Williams still sitting in here. Brad, you got a two-minute two minute warning to tell us about the sheriff's, Lacrosse County Sheriff's recount. You were at the recount when it began, and then you got an update from Lacrosse County Clerk Jenny Digmeyer just a couple yeah. of minutes ago, right? I was just going to talk about disorderly conduct poultry enhancement as we were going in. <laughs> but moving on to the uh, the sheriff's uh, recount, yes, okay, I, I, the doctor got the joke. Uh, the the uh, recount is over, and uh, Ginny Dankmeyer says it took about seven or eight hours today. This was 13 wards in the city of La Crosse. Requested recount by Fritz Leinfelder, who had 
been 175 votes behind John Siegel after the original count. And they went through all those uh, ballots, uh, several hundred ballots in the 13 wards. And the result was Siegel picked up two more votes. Leinfelder picked up one more vote. So the final measure is 176 vote victory for John Siegel, all right, the next but, sheriff. Um, and at the beginning of, and do you want yeah, me to play at the any be- of these beginning rounds? they were just starting uh, today, and there were there was an objection which came from uh, the from Keith Belzer who is representing John Siegel. Uh, yep, John Siegel. Keith because, Belzer is a lawyer. Yep. Yes, and uh, objecting to the idea of the. The partiality, they said if there's going to be a recount, it should be the entire county, not just a, a few selected wards, because then that's they were troubled by that. And then the, uh, the Leinfelder group said, well, no, you're, you're just trying to make trouble here. We're, we're within our rights. And uh, the clerk's office said, yes, they are within our rights. But, you know, duly noted on both your sides, now we're going ahead with the count. Yeah, and I just picture it something like you don't and have to there, tell yes, me that. there were many very and there were many people uh, standing nearby. There were a lot of observers there today. Yeah, um, the maximum amount of observers were present in the room during the recount. Yes, I plus, plus a few of us from the media. So, all right, any other any other? Uh, Steve O'Malley was there too. He was curious about it. Oh, maybe he's, he he's retired. A, he could have been an observer. Yeah, well, uh, he, I think he was a bystander, interested bystander. Sure. Yeah. Uh, did you want me to play any of these? Uh, that we, we do have a couple of clips of Ginny explaining uh, what the first one is, uh, commenting just on general security of La Crosse County elections. I just think that goes to prove that voters can be assured that our elections are secure, held with the utmost security, and transparent. Um, the votes tonight today show that when you cast a ballot here in La Crosse County, that your ballot's going to be counted, and it's going to be counted accurately. And we showed that today. With the seven or eight hours we did recounting over 10,000 ballots. So I think we've proven that yet again, that these machines are accurate and that they work. Seven, eight hours, three votes. So yeah. one vote every other hour yeah. they, and, they found that they had missed. And she also talks about the specifics of this uh, particular recount. This was a typical recount. We went through, we reconciled poll books to confirm how many voters were at the polls. Did that match the number of ballots we had? And then we reconciled absentee envelopes with the absentee log. And in the end, we went through and separated the ballots by candidate and counted the down. Counted them down. Um, the changes were in one precinct. We knew that a ballot had been accidentally counted twice because there was a jam and that ballot got fed twice, so we knew a vote would be taken from that one. And the other ones were mainly just overvoted ballots. When you looked at it, you could determine voter intent. So in that case, you know, uh, a vote was added to the to that candidate. All right. And so at this point, that's what it is. All right. Thanks, Brad. We got to take a break. I got to give Brad like 12 seconds. He's got to walk across <laughs> the hallway here. So that he can do their news. Well, we can stall Rick and just say that this was a very typical by-the-book recount, handled very typically. All of the procedures were followed exactly as you would expect. Very minimal change in the vote outcome. That is precisely what most 
recounts result in. Most recounts result in barely any change. There will be a little bit of change because they'll catch situations where a ballot wasn't marked quite correctly. But those are few and far between, Rick. By and large, these recounts result in very little change to the outcomes. I am not surprised that the recount in these particular precincts for the lacrosse sheriff's race really did not change the results at all. When I vote, there's like four people and they're all just election volunteers when I go to vote in Houston County. But could you imagine being the the person where there's a lot of people in line, there's a lot of people voting, and you're the one that gets the ballot jam in the machine? <laughs> well, yeah, that's embarrassing. Like, oh, no. And then, <laughs> and then you're probably freaking out a little bit because you're like, oh, my ballot jammed, and now what happens? Do I have to get a new ballot? Yeah, then what do you do? This one? Does this one get to go through? Will it get counted? So there's probably, and then also all the people in line. But anyway, we'll be back after this. So don't, like, don't get confused now here. This is Lacrosse Talk PM because Hayes is one of his intros on Lacrosse Talk in the morning. Is like a remake of this song. Oh, like a parody? Yeah, he's got like a Mike Hayes version of this. And, okay. And when I was on this morning, it wasn't this one. I was sad because I was in, in with him this morning. Uh, it was a different one, which was also awesome. And I'm like, who is doing these? And when do I get my cool yeah. like hip hop song parody uh, with Lacrosse Talk PM? Got something to complain. <laughs> Got something to complain. <laughs> 608-785-7914 is the talk of text line. Man, we got a lot of stuff right out of the way off the bat. I don't even know if we need to talk anymore. We we kind of covered everything. We got the Florida man bringing raw chicken through TSA. And Important got... follow-up with the interner of the Lacrosse Regional Airport. And then obviously Brad Williams covering the recount for the Lacrosse County Sheriff's race. Mm-hmm. And it looks like... Okay, so they did the recount. Mm-hmm. Siegel picked up like one vote. There was three votes that were a little out of whack. Siegel yep. picks up one vote. So can we call it? We have a sh- new sheriff, John Siegel? Well, or is there some more to this? You, well, this might not be the best question for you, but. Y- you know, Rick, it was completely within his legal right for Fritz Leinfelder the Republican candidate in the race for sheriff to request a recount. Now, the margin was slightly outside of the territory where the taxpayers would cover the cost. A tenth or so of a percent. Yeah, so if the margin is within 0.25, then the taxpayers pick up the bill for the recount. If the margin is between 0.25 and 1%, then a candidate may request a recount, but they have to pay for it. And that's exactly what happened. Fritz Leinfelder's campaign paid for this recount of these 13 wards in lacrosse. That was the one thing that I think Brad, amongst all the questions he had to ask Jenny Dingmeyer, the clerk, it was the one because I the first, I always want to know how much did it cost? Because I'm always just curious. Sure. And is it because it took seven to eight hours? Is it a flat fee for a recount? <laughs> or. Is it per the hour, you know, like we have to have three tables, we have to have this many people working on it and we just do and they're going to work on the clock for, you know, $18 an hour and therefore if it takes seven to, you know, like I have no idea. I'm guessing it's some kind of flat fee, but that's the one thing. Um, Is it now the the contention there a little bit, if you read Brad's story earlier from today, was that the uh, the Siegel's lawyer said, hey, you can't just pick. We got to recount the whole county. We can't just pick and to choose wards. This this brought up a little bit of the 2020 election when uh, Donald Trump said, no, we're just going to count Milwaukee and Madison because I want to get rid of Democrat. That's where most of the Democratic votes came from. So the odds are, if you count those areas, if you're going to find something wrong with ballots, 
you're going to you're going to be able to delete Democratic votes versus Republican votes just because there's more of them there. Um, so that was kind of what we did here. We went to the college districts and and tried to try to get the recount in those areas. That's exactly right, Rick. So there were some 54,000 ballots cast in the race for La Crosse County Sheriff. It was an extremely close race. It was only a 175 vote margin. Now, that was a 0.32% margin. So again, Perfectly within his legal rights for Fritz Leinfelder to request a recount. He had to pay for it, and he did that. Now, it wasn't all of those ballots that were being recounted. It was a little more than 10,000 ballots that were being recounted from 13 wards in the city of La Crosse. We noted that those were wards where a lot of college students live. And so the question is, well, were these ballots cast correctly? Were there any problems with how these ballots were cast? Any questions that might have arose when these ballots were cast in these Democratic-leaning parts of the area? And turned out, no. There weren't. And it's it, it just, it, I mean, the, the results are what they are. They didn't change. And, and Brad's, Brad Williams in the newsroom has experienced this. You, you obviously, a political science professor, I should say, Anthony Tregoski from UWL in here with me. Um, you, you study this. Uh, but for me, I'm, I'm learning firsthand. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. We're doing this. Uh, you know, this is kind of my first experience having a recount in a race that's so, you know, just in the mix with what we do here in La Crosse and on La Crosse Talk PM. Obviously, the La Crosse County Sheriff is something that we deal with, you know, from time to time. So it's kind of interesting to go through it like this, because if it was like Doug LaFollette, they, they had a recount there, right? Like for uh, Secretary of State, I believe. I don't know if they had a recount, but like he just called his race today. Yeah. Now, it's a bizarre campaign because Doug LaFollette, the longtime Wisconsin Secretary of State, has had all of his duties stripped from him by the <laughs> Wisconsin uh, Republican-controlled yep. state government during the Walker years and when the Republicans controlled the state legislature during that time. His only job is like the Timbers board or something like that. He's like oversees something with the Timbers board. I remember reading that. And they moved his basement. They moved his office to the basement of the Capitol. Where's your office, by the way? Is it in the basement of some? It, it is not in the basement. <laughs> I, I got better office space than Doug LaFollette does. The 40-some <laughs> year, I feel like, Secretary of State. He's been around forever. Now, it was a very close race, incredibly low stakes, because the office doesn't do anything. There had been talk among Republicans about potentially empowering the Secretary of State if they were to win the governor's office and then have majorities in the state legislature where they could empower the state. Uh, a secretary of state if the Republican had won that race. I mean, it's just the most partisan thing. It's not the most partisan thing, but it's very like, come on, like eye rolling to me that if our guy wins, then we're going to give him a whole bunch of power. But if your guy wins, then we're not going to give him a whole bunch of power. It's one of the most eye rolling things I, I see about politics in Wisconsin. And I'm sure if I was going through it in another state, this isn't something we're fighting about in Minnesota, my state, I don't believe. I, maybe you would know, but I just don't see stories about it. The AP writers in Wisconsin, a lot better than the AP writers in Minnesota, I would say. There's just, I think there's two of them going, going and covering this stuff. But um, it, it's just eye-rolling to me. Hey, if we get power, then we're going to give all the power to our guy to oversee elections. But if you retain power, Doug LaFollette, who's like 80-some years old, uh, then we'll keep you in the basement and don't you don't have to do anything. And then we'll and then we'll gripe about how you take a paycheck and and you probably shouldn't we shouldn't even have your office exist. Over the last decade, we've just seen how cutthroat partisan politics in Wisconsin have become. And you know, normally you don't really think about Midwestern states in that way. You kind of think of Midwestern states as these friendly areas where everyone kind of gets along and maybe they 
like moderation in their candidates. Maybe they like politicians who kind of play nice with each other. But it's Minnesota nice, it, not Wisconsin nice. It's Minnesota nice. Maybe We're it's nice because I'm from Minnesota that I'm thinking this way, Rick. But yeah, no, like that Minnesota nice or Midwestern nice, you know, but it's anything but in Wisconsin politics. I mean, the partisanship in this state is absolutely brutal. It's it's beyond what people experience in, in most other states. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. You have a question for UW Claus. UW lacrosse political science professor, Dr. Anthony Chagoski. Go ahead. Uh, oh, and no, I thought Eric would have a question, but he doesn't. All right, that's perfect. We got to take a break. Brad's going to do another round of news. But before that, a very important Scott's comment that we're going to talk about after yes. this. Dealing with Taylor Swift, Ticketmaster. Ticketmaster. Bringing, what, bringing partisan politics now to we a... Yes, Rick. So we talk about ways that we can bring the parties together. We we always like to find those areas of common ground. Daylight savings we, yep. and, ta- and Swifties. Swifties. We'll be back. Playing Taylor Swift today on the Crosstalk PM. UW Lacrosse Political Science. Professor. In solidarity with the Swifties. In solidarity. That's why. <laughs> that's why my tone is like this. Yeah. Settled. You got to get. You got to get your tone down. Okay. okay. It's a somber. Time yeah, it, it is a very somber time we're for trying, the Swifties. Because because I, I don't know, I'm not going to be an expert to all the things, and you're going to have to get caught up on some of this stuff as your daughter gets older. Oh, yeah. Because she's going to turn into a Swiftie. Oh, almost definitely. Because all kids do. And that's the worry, I think, among politicians, because whoever gets the Swiftie vote is going to win all the elections. And right now... There is an opportunity, and people think that's funny, but it, but I think Taylor Swift is like one of the, if Twitter exists by the end of the weekend, I don't know if it's going to happen, <laughs> but is is perhaps the most followed person in social media or most followed, I'm sure there's, I should have looked it up before we went on, but whoever gets the Swifty vote, the Taylor Swift fans vote, is going to win all the elections. And right now we see partisan politics fade into the sunset. Can we fade into the sunset? Walk off, ride off into the sunset? Republicans, Democrats coming together to try to win the Swifty vote as they as fans try to get tickets on Ticketmaster. You heard Scott's comment a little bit and Ticketmaster crashes and then Ticketmaster has this new pricing that is like supply and demand pricing. Oh, it's horrible. And Ticketmaster is a monopoly. Like when you think totally going to get tickets, you go Ticketmaster or I'm going to have to go walk up to the concert and buy it from this guy that you hopefully he isn't. You know, like who's who's going to you know try to get me for all? How much money you got? Two hundred dollars. That's how much the tickets cost. Like when you when you buy from the the guys outside the stadium. Um, all right, Ticketmaster is a monopoly. We see Republicans, Democrats coming together to try to take down Ticketmaster. Is that what we're seeing? Yeah, Rick. I think the Swifties are out for blood after the debacle that was the pre-sale for Taylor Swift's upcoming tour. There were 2.4 million tickets sold in the pre-sale for Taylor Swift's The Eras Tour. But according to the Associated Press, fans trying to scoop up tickets in this pre-sale were met by massive delays and error messages that Ticketmaster blamed on bots and historically unprecedented demand. It was the most tickets sold on the platform in a single day, the company announced in a statement. A general public sale scheduled for Friday was canceled the day before. So basically, you had the system completely crashing as people are desperate to buy these tickets for what is a much anticipated, to put it mildly, tour by Taylor Swift. But but you you say to put it mildly, but people might not understand why 
why everybody wants to go to a Taylor Swift concert. Not only is she, according to Wikipedia, the seventh most followed person on Twitter, 91.8 million people follow her. Number one, Barack. Number two, Elon. Number three, Justin Bieber. Number four, Katy Perry. Then Rihanna. Then Cristiano Ronaldo, I think, is a is a soccer player. And then Taylor is number seven. Um, she hasn't toured in a while, or she has a new album out, and it's her own album. album yeah. Because there's this thing where we just went through where Taylor Swift's albums aren't her albums right and now the, she has her own kind of like way to produce her her music yeah rick you know she had this legal drama with her re- recording company and so she re-recorded a bunch of her old music just so she can own it yeah and now i mean their demand was so high for example in minneapolis she was scheduled to do a show at u.s bank stadium the home of the minnesota vikings and she added a second show because that's just with the demand that's out there. She could add a third show that would sell out. A fourth show would I, sell out too. I wonder where it would end if you just decided. Know, right? how, this would be funny. How many times can I? How many shows? Obviously, she couldn't. She couldn't do it physically. Sure. Because you can only you can only sing so much. I think before you're you know you don't want to risk that, right? Yeah. Uh, but it would be curious. What if she just said, "I'm not even going to do a show. I'm just going to have like." Like talking hour with Taylor, and we're just gonna we're gonna we're gonna do this. We're gonna talk. We're gonna have somebody interview me, and we're gonna do it like uh, twice a day until we can't do it anymore. Maybe she does it in New York just because there's more people there. Like, how many times would it sell out before people are like, all right, well, the Taylor thing, the Taylor Swift thing, like, I'm kind of done with that because obviously if she's not singing songs, but it would be funny because, uh, yeah, it would just, it would continuously sell out until the end of time, I think. It would. I mean, she's such a hot ticket, Rick. And I think the Swifties are out for blood, like I said. And it just so happens that in a story in the New York Times today, it was reported that the Justice Department has opened an antitrust investigation into the owner of Ticketmaster, whose sale of Taylor Swift concert tickets descended into chaos this week, said two people with knowledge of the matter. The investigation is focused on whether Live Nation Entertainment has abused its power over the multi-billion dollar live music industry. So I think that there could be some legs to this investigation at the federal level. There are also some attorneys general around the country looking into it. I know the Republican attorney general in Tennessee is interested in this issue of Ticketmaster potentially having a monopoly. So I think this could be an issue that brings Republicans and Democrats together, our shared hatred of Ticketmaster. That's kind of funny, too, because we're trying to get the Taylor vote. That's obviously what we're doing here. Well, we're, we're actually trying to go after Ticketmaster. Nah, you're trying to appease a lot of voters out there. Um, because there's another story, and I don't know if you're privy to this one. Ed Markey is a pop, a, a powerful Democrat. Sure. And Twitter is kind of a, a dumpster fire right now. And I said this morning, Twitter might be Twitter because the World Cup starts and a lot of people use Twitter. And the more people that are using it, eventually something's going to go wrong. And if you're firing all your workers, uh, there might not be enough workers to fix all the things when when it's getting used so much. But Ed Ed Markey's a I think he's a senator. A he pop, is a, a very powerful Democratic senator. Right. He's going after Elon Musk about you know get get your bleep in order, <laughs> otherwise we're going to start coming after you. He t- he t- tweeted I think one time one of your companies is under an FTC consent decree. Auto safety watchdog and a bunch of letters is investigating another for killing people. And you're spending your time picking fights online. Fix your companies or Congress will. And when I read that, I was like, oh, so so you're you're going after Elon Musk. It, it feels a little partisan, like a little bit like uh, you do this or or well, maybe maybe Mr. Markey or doctor. I don't know if he's a doctor. 
uh, maybe if if this this stuff is not going right, maybe Congress should should go after these things because that's Congress's job. Not hey, fix Twitter, or we're going to go after your other companies. That seems so weird to me, and that's what Elon Musk retweeted. Uh, he replied tweet to the to to that that threat. This whole thing with Twitter is just a, such a soap opera, Rick. Hey, Twitter had 7,500 full-time employees at the end of October. Now Elon Musk comes in, mass layoffs. That 7,500 number of employees drops to 3,700. And then just yesterday, 1,200 additional full-time employees resign. Why? Because they are told that they need to be, in Elon Musk's words, hardcore if they want to continue to be an employee there. Yeah, I think some of the talking points were like, oh, what's the big deal? Elon Musk says you need to just work hard, and wouldn't we all, well, wouldn't all our bosses want to say, hey, would you guys work hard? But work hard is one thing. To be hardcore, I don't, that's, that's a little bit different level. Yeah, it's this idea that you should be constantly available to work. That the, instead of what? Avail- silent? What is, the, what is the phrase? Silent? Quiet uh, quitting? Quiet quitting. That, that you cannot quiet quit when you work for Twitter. That you have to be always available. You have to be there early in the morning until late at night. Your email you always has to be has loud to be working. On. You can't be quiet quitting. You have to be loud, loud working. Loud working, Rick. Now, here's the thing. Elon Musk said, well, if you're not going to be hardcore about this, then you can quit and I'll give you three months severance. Turned out that Three months severance seemed to be a pretty good deal for these 1,200 full-time employees who resigned. So now Twitter has key functions of its platform where there's no one working there. Yeah, it's funny because <laughs> you, you give them a severance package and they all take it because they see like, oh, you know what? Like this thing might not might not be working. And Elon doesn't sound like the greatest person to work for, no. regardless of what company you're working at. All right, we're going to take another break. Oh, so I like this song. I'm not like a big Swifty, I don't think. Are you a Swifty? I secretly am. Secretly, all right. Yes. Um, before we get to, I want to talk about the lacrosse school board referendum and where we go from here. Not that you know, but like there's, we have state news on, on this. But before we do that, in terms of going after, in what I feel like is a little bit, not, it's it's a little bit not partisan, but a little bit politics, going after Ticketmaster because... Obviously, it affects a lot of people, and we're trying to get the young vote, right? That was kind of the midterm uh, We takeaway from the midterms is Republicans didn't get the young vote. And, Correct. And Democrats would like to continue getting. Everybody wants to get the young vote. So the Swifties are mad at Ticketmaster. Let's go after Ticketmaster. But we're not going after, let's see, there's another story, and it's on Wisdom somewhere. Um, uh, there's a lawsuit accusing meatpackers of wage fixing. There's a Ticketmaster has monopoly. Meatpacking is like three or four there's there's a monopoly there of like three or four companies that own like 80 some we've when when the um the the farm the the farmer thing comes to the lacrosse center i just forget what it's the the organic farming oh, conference right, right, comes right, to the right, lacrosse right. center i always yep. have them on and this is one of the topics we always talk about but we don't see a big congress is going after uh meat producers for wage fixing because on top of that there's also like a child labor story out of i think right right here in wisconsin where there's kids working in meatpacking plants and they must have knew, known it and so like it would be nice to hey we're not going to get like the meatpacking vote because even though literally everyone owns you know not literally but like we're all affected by the price of meat um so it is kind of funny to see the attention 
because it's Swifties, because it, look at us, we're talking about it as well. But I want to bring up this meatpacking thing, too. It's just like uh, Congress gets to pick and choose. We're going to pick and choose if we're going to go after Elon Musk companies. It's kind of a, a ridiculous thing. Like, whoa, I removed the whole board. Um, where where they decide and how they decide to pick a fight. Yeah, Rick, it depends on the people who have an interest in the investigation, how politically powerful there are, they are, or how many of them there are, or the publicity surrounding the particular situation. So in this case, Rick, the meltdown that Ticketmaster experienced with regard to the Taylor Swift sales is the worst thing that could have happened to it because I think there is a compelling antitrust case to be made against Ticketmaster and Ticketmaster is not a well-liked company overall. And now, given this publicity, I think it gives some legs to attorneys general around the country who might want to take a stab at Ticketmaster along with the Justice Department's investigation into Ticketmaster. Yeah, if we're going to be investigating Hunter Biden's laptop all the time, we could investigate things that are affecting us as well. Sure. And maybe go after all the monopolies that are out there. I mean, there's so many of them. I mean, we were, I'm literally using Google to find these stories, and that's another monopoly. <laughs> Um, all right, moving on. Lacrosse school board referendum obviously didn't pass. Is the biggest one on the docket for the state on the ballot, I should say. Uh, $194.7 million. To build a new high school, voters voted that down by 70%. They said, nope, we don't want to do that. Meanwhile, just north of us, $75 million to kind of update buildings in Onalaska. On uh-huh. Another $75 million to update buildings in Holman. Both of those schools also operating budget to keep basically the quote-unquote keep the lights on. Um, taxpayers are going to going to have to pay more there in those two communities to pay the schools to keep the lights on. Uh, we're sitting on a one uh, f- six billion dollar budget surplus, which could you know help the schools out. Um, but overall, we have statewide numbers from the Wisconsin Policy Forum on just how much money was on the ballot asking taxpayers to pay for schools when uh, the state won't. That's right, Rick. So there were 104 referendum questions on the November 8 ballots that sought voters permission for cities, villages, towns and counties and public school districts to exceed state limits on property tax increases. Now, when you look at the success rate, it is exactly what I would have expected. Seventy nine percent of the referendum questions passed. That is exactly the rate that they typically pass at. So referendum questions have a very high success rate. And to see them pass in these overwhelming numbers across Wisconsin is hardly surprising, Rick. So all told, not a real surprise to see these passing great numbers around the state. Lacrosse was its own special case because you had sort of the North versus South side politics. You had the uniquely high dollar value of the project. You had lots of things that made the Lacrosse School District referendum unique than perhaps other referendum yeah, questions around the state. I don't know if it got. Do you think across the state it would have gotten more? It got more attention. I mean, obviously here it's going to get the attention. It's going to get because it's effective. Literally lacrosse talk PM, um, but I don't know. I don't know if like across the state, if uh, everyone's pointing to lacrosse, and maybe it sets an, it sets the tone for future. You know, hey, we want to build a new high school. Uh, the overlying thing though is like, look how much money like we're asking voters to go. You know, we're going to the table. You said one point seven billion dollars in new spending, right? Dro- drop in the bucket for what the budget surplus is that we've been sitting on since January. A drop in the bucket, six billion dollar budget surplus. We could just we could ma- wave a magic wand, get rid of all this money for taxpayers that went to the ballot and said, "Hey, it's okay that you guys at the state aren't funding the schools. We'll fund them 
because they're our schools and we care about our children. But you're sitting on six billion. And the Wisconsin Policy Forum report made note of exactly that, Rick. So a six-ish billion dollar surplus that the state government has, it's not doing anything with it. Of course, giving more money to local governments and school districts to help with these issues could have prevented these referendum questions from even happening in the first place. As you noted, Rick, there were some just let's keep the lights on referendum type issues that we saw in addition to these construction type issues. So different types of issues, but certainly stemming from budget stresses at the local government level and budget stresses in school districts. I had the Onalaska School District superintendent on here a couple of weeks ago talking about their referendum and the quote unquote, let's keep the lights on is also the quote unquote, let's pay the teachers like we got to keep paying sure. the teachers. That's part of the operating referendum question that, you know, they, they pass it on Alaska. But they, it's just so funny, like, ah, we got to go to the voters to ask for more money because the state isn't doing it. Um, all right. One more thing uh, before we go. We got a, m- a couple minutes here. Um, turnout. Do we have you have final turnout numbers from the election? Were you because the midterms here, 85, no, 80 percent turnout somewhere around there in La Crosse County, I believe. Four years ago, 85%. We talked about this a little bit, surprising to you, and now we kind of have a, a, a take on the whole state, right? We do. A round of applause to La Crosse County because La Crosse County's voter turnout was way higher than Wisconsin's overall turnout. 56.8% turnout statewide in Wisconsin in the most recent midterm elections. That compares to 59.3% turnout in 2018, which was a record. I was wondering, Rick, if we would get to a record this time around. We didn't. Nevertheless, 56.8% turnout is very high by midterm election standards. So I'm quite pleased with La Crosse County turnout. I'm quite pleased with Wisconsin voter turnout. It shows that the voters were engaged and that the trend upwards of voter turnout going in the upward direction, that that trend continues. And that's a great thing. Why do you think La Crosse County was higher than the state? You know, one potential explanation would be these referendum issues that were on the ballot. We had that in Holman. We had that in Onalaska. We had that in La Crosse, the city of La Crosse. So certainly that generated turnout because we had these unique local issues in addition to these very competitive statewide elections. So recount today too, right? You think the sheriff's race had something to do with that? The sheriff's race. I would also note the third congressional district race between Brad Path and Derek Van Orden. We know that that was a very expensive race and a very competitive race. No doubt that that encouraged people to go out and vote. Yeah, maybe the third district, the the U.S. House district brought brought voters to the table, but also a lot of factors locally that I think all came together and cumulatively raised turnout. And I wonder if if the media plays a hand in this, because I I believe I want to say two TV stations, a newspaper and a radio station, among other outlets that we we get our media in the area. We're giving pretty good attention to every race that was going on, except maybe like the courthouse clerk race. That's right, Rick. There is yeah, there is political science research showing that the more local news sources a community has, the higher the turnout in elections. So pretty clear that that played a, played a role. All right, Chagoski, thanks. Thank have you. A, have a good weekend, everybody.